Boy, if I can't preach after that, I cannot preach. I love that. You ready to get into the Word tonight? Okay, I got a lot to cover, so we're going to get right on down the road with it. And let's uh, look at, I'm going to begin with Mark 1, 16 to 21. I want to show you, we're going to end up in chapter 4. It doesn't look like we're getting through Mark, but we're going to end with chapter 4 and move on next week. But I want you to see the call of the first disciples. And let's read it together. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fish for a living. Jesus called out to them, read it with me, everybody, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Ooh, I like that. Now, and what they do, they left their nets at once, immediately, and followed him. And a little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat, repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue in Capernaum, and he began to teach. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We pray you'll bless it to our hearts. Help us to touch Jesus through the word, to learn of him, take his yoke upon us, and we thank you. We will find rest for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen, you're going to need this tonight. I want to, I'm heading somewhere tonight. I want to, I'm going to end in the miracle of the blind man who was healed and at first saw men as trees walking. But I want to lead up to that by showing you the power of again. The power of again. Can everybody say with me again? Now, we just read the begin or the beginning of the uh, uh, the calling of Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Never ceases to amaze me the, the way Jesus works because here you have you have Simon and Mark in his book honors the way Jesus changed his name. You'll find here at the beginning that he calls him Simon, but later in Mark he calls him Peter. He honors what Jesus did with him. He recognized the name change as being prophetic of what Peter was going to become. But that's another whole story. But he calls Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Simon has been casting the net. John has been mending the net. And when you read about Simon, Peter, you see him being the net caster when they brought in 3,000 souls on the day of Pentecost. Peter is the preacher who preaches and thousands are saved, but you find John mending the net. My little children, love one another because love is of God. Now don't fight, don't squabble, let's be mended. Let's get along. You find Peter, repent! He's the net caster spiritually. John's the net mender spiritually. They go into Capernaum 
for the very first time in Mark chapter 1. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Capernaum. Capernaum was the residence of Jesus and his uh, apostles. At Nazareth, Jesus was brought up. But Capernaum was, beyond doubt, his own city. Now, the way I can explain this is um, sort of like I was raised in Richardson, Texas. But during that time, Dallas was my city. You understand that? Now I wouldn't live there if you paid me. Fort Worth is my city. Life is too short to sit on LBJ. Now, he chose Matthew, Simon Peter, and Andrew, all three out of Capernaum. They all came out of Capernaum. From Capernaum, he first traveled to synagogues throughout Galilee. You read about this in Mark 1. He went first into the synagogue in Capernaum. And then he said, I've been called to go everywhere. And he went into the synagogues, not just on the streets, but he went into the synagogues in towns all around Galilee. And it says when he went, he went teaching, he went healing, and he went casting out devils. We're told later that Jesus went about everywhere doing good and healing people who were tormented and oppressed by the devil. I was watching Bill O'Reilly last night. I got to say this. I don't know if you watch the O'Reilly Factor, but I I do believe that some people are a little more conservative than others, and I can stomach listening to them. But O'Reilly had this guy on who was talking about how the Catholic Church has now appointed many more exorcists to minister among them to cast devils out of people. And they had on a representative. And this representative, a very educated guy, he looked to be a Hispanic guy to me. And here he is, and, and he was talking about how the Catholic Church has found the need to appoint exorcists. And O'Reilly said, now you got two minutes to tell us why you're not a looney tune. Now, if I'm on the O'Reilly factor, that's a, that's a heavy call right there. But point being, O'Reilly can't comprehend the supernatural. That's why I always tell you people, and, and I'm telling I'm, myself too, just because somebody's conservative politically doesn't mean they're conservative theologically. You got to be careful. You got to you got to chew the meat and spit out the bones when you're watching TV, because so many times you hear just crazy stuff. This poor guy tried to explain the reality of the supernatural, and O'Reilly calls himself a good Catholic, but here's the Catholic Church appointing exorcists to deal with the reality of the spiritual world. So you got a whole culture out there that when you go to talking about stuff that I'm going to be talking about tonight, they think it's loony. Well, what do they do with Jesus who went around casting out devils, healing the sick, dealing in the supernatural? You see, there is a fourth dimension, everybody, and it's right here. Are you with me? It's a supernatural just because you can't see it. Touch it, taste it, smell it, hear it, doesn't mean it's not there. God has limited our five senses to live in the world that he created. But the supernatural world is out there. And to deny that is to deny the Bible. It's right here. Heaven's not light years away where i got to load you onto a spaceship 
And you start traveling there and have children there and they grow up on the spaceship and they're the ones that finally get to heaven. It's so far up there. Heaven is right here. I believe when you die, you just step into another room. Jesus said the kingdom of God is among you. It's among you. When Jesus walked up to the Mount of Transfiguration, suddenly we are introduced to the supernatural reality of resurrected people. Because there standing next to him is Moses on one side, representing the law. Elijah on the other side, representing the prophets. And what are they talking about? Jesus' future resurrection. And who's talking to him? Two resurrected men who are living in the spirit dimension. Hello? Where'd they come from? They stepped out of that fourth dimension, talked to Jesus in our dimensions, in our world, and when they were done, they stepped back in. Did they travel light years up that way? No, they just stepped back in to the fourth dimension, the spirit world. If we could see into the spirit right now, we'd see angels. You'd probably see some, some demon spirits attacking God's people. You would see this. If you don't see that, if that's not there, then let me close my Bible. We all need to go to the house and watch uh, uh, replays of the Twilight Zone because that's what we've been in. But there's a spirit world. There is a spiritual dimension. It's more real than this because heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. The things of the spirit are the things that live forever. This is temporary. Now, the thing that marked the ministry of Jesus when he entered the synagogue for the very first time, he flushed the spirit world out. He preached his first message under the power of the Holy Spirit and a demon manifested and everybody freaked out. What in the world is this? And Jesus talked to the demon and the demon spoke to him and said, I know who you are. Have you come to torment us before our time? And Jesus said, come out of him. And he came out with a scream as we've already looked at. He shook the man up, came out of him and went off into the spirit world. And now the man is free. See, if we can't comprehend the fact that there is a spiritual dimension, we are completely crippled in ministering to people. This is what made Jesus so outstanding to the people of his day. He understood the spirit dimension. He moved in the spirit dimension. He ministered in the spirit dimension. And he healed people in the level of the spiritual dimension. Now, let's look at Mark 2.1. I want to show you now. Uh, look what it says. A few days later when Jesus, what's the word, everybody? Again, entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come where? He had come home. So he came back to his own city again. Now, I want you to notice the word again because I'm going to show you that Jesus came to places again and again and that that's going to matter to us tonight. This whole concept of Jesus coming to you again. And then he comes to you again. And then he comes to you again. This is the second again in the book of Mark. The second in a few weeks. The second again, the second time 
He came to Capernaum. He went out and preached in all the villages around Galilee, came back to Capernaum again. The first time, he went to the synagogue where they were used to hearing him. But this time, he went to his house. Now, let's look at Mark 3, 1. Jesus went into the synagogue, went, everybody, again, and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Now, notice that the first time he went to the synagogue, he dealt with a man who had a demon. And he, dealed, or he dealt with the demon in the realm of the supernatural, delivered the man, and the man was made whole. But this time, he's not dealing with a demon. And I want you to notice both of these miracles happened in church. Demons came to church. And this man with a withered hand came to church. It was a twisted, withered hand. And this time, <clears throat> he heals the man with a withered hand. And you got Pharisees standing there this time. And the Pharisees are always standing around. You let God move somewhere, and you always got Pharisees standing around. They stand like this. And they're measuring you according to their yardstick, and they got one yardstick. And they're standing there. You got to get a hold of this. These dudes are sitting there judging to see if Jesus will do something on gasp the Sabbath. And you got a guy with a withered hand. He's twist. He can't do manual labor. He can't work. His ability to earn a living is hindered. He's been deformed all of his life. They know Jesus is going to spot it. And instead of going, oh, God, heal him, these Pharisees are sitting there saying, let's see if he heals on the Sabbath. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said, stretch it forth. The man stretches out this deformed hand. Picture a hand arthritically deformed. And Jesus healed it. Suddenly, bones popped, fingers straightened, the hand straightened, and it was as whole as the other. Everybody else was amazed. What do the Pharisees do? They go out and they, for the very first time, start plotting to kill him. Were they really worried about the Sabbath? No, they were a bunch of hypocrites. They weren't worried about the Sabbath. What were they worried about? This guy's getting too popular. He's getting all the people. We don't like that. We like having them under our thumb. It was a control issue. Now, let me tell you something. In church and elsewhere, it always comes down to control. Now, let me tell you something about church. This was church. This was happening in church. It always comes down to control. Who's controlling what? And you know what kind of church you want? You want a church where the Holy Spirit can do what he wants. What he wants. But when men, ambitious people, step into leadership, they can take the control away from the Holy Spirit, and it begins to be ruled by flesh. And you will know the difference. You may sit there for a while, and like the frog in the boiling water, the water's getting hotter all the time. But that's all you ever see is flesh controlling the church, the will of man. So you're just, ah, no, 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 no. And then somehow or another, you begin to say, you know, it's getting awful hot around here. Something's wrong here. I don't sense God moving anymore or at all or ever. 
and, and, and you end up and you go somewhere where the Spirit of God is moving and you freak out. You say, what have I been sitting in? Either the Spirit of God is free to move in a church or you have the thumb of flesh holding it down. In this synagogue, you had the thumb of flesh holding it down. Here comes Jesus, my Lord, casting devils out, teaching like no man ever taught, healing withered hands, and he's only just gotten started, and already they're wanting to kill him. The flesh is an ugly thing, y'all. The flesh is an ugly thing. It doesn't like the moving of God. Now look at Mark 4.1. Once again... Can you say it with me again? Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. I'm only bringing this out to show you that, again, Jesus taught by the sea. You can read about it in Mark 1.16. You can read about it in Mark 2.13. He taught. He went back to the sea again. Now, notice, he went into Capernaum again. He went to the sea again, and he went into a home twice. So, so, so far we find three repeat visits of Jesus. Twice he entered the same synagogue, twice he taught the same sea, and twice he went back to Capernaum, all in a short period of time. Again, the power of again, the power of again. And every time Jesus returned again, something incredible happened again. Say with me again, again. Now, I'm... I'm sharing that with you because I got to tell you something about the way God does. God comes to people again and then he comes to them again and then he comes knocking again and then again. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock and if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him fellowship with him and he with me. That word knock is in, it's called present active indicative Greek tense. And what it means is this, continuously, behold, I am continuously standing at the door of your life and knocking. I come again and I come again and I come again. Now you find, let's go to Mark 8 and let me get down to this healing that is so powerful. When they arrived at Bethsaida, Mark 8, 22, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. What were they doing? They were praying for him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand. Mark that. Look what Jesus did. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes. Now you got to remember, the eyes are where the affliction was. And he spit on them. Can I tell you, I don't think that blessed him at first. <laughs> I mean, if I'm hurting and God spits on the hurt, I need some discernment here. I need a revelation. <laughs> so keep that in mind. Here's the guy, he can't see. And instead of, oh, I'm so sorry, and touching your eye, he's poop. <laughs> I'm just trying to be real, real with you tonight. Because I'm trying to stick myself in his shoes. 
and that doesn't bless me. Now watch this. Then it says, he laid his hands on him and asked, now can you see anything? The man looked around and said, yes. He said, I see people, but I can't see them clearly. They look like trees walking around. Now let's look at the next part. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. When? Again. And his eyes, what happened to him then? His eyes were open after and again. Now watch. His sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. 20-20. Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. This is such a powerful story. I got to tell you, this is so powerful. Now, this story, you remember the first night we met, you had, or last week actually, it was the, the, the friends who brought the paralytic and lowered him down through the roof. And four friends carried him on a stretcher to see Jesus. Remember that? So it was, and I call it, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. They carried him with a stretcher all the way to Jesus. And when they couldn't get in, they lowered him through the roof after digging a six-foot hole in the roof. They lowered him down. Here you got people bringing somebody again to Jesus. He hadn't come on his own. He can't. He can't see him. So you got somebody who can't help themselves. I can't see. I can't walk. I can't see. And when you talk to Jesus and you say to Jesus, would you heal this person? That's what prayer is. He just happened to be on earth at that time. But they said, would you please would you please? So notice somebody got a burden for somebody who could not see. Several people got a burden for someone who could not see. And they prayed for his healing. It says literally they begged Jesus to touch him. Wow. Now that to me is where the verse begins to talk. Because instead of being apathetic about it, they're saying, please heal him. Please open his eyes. That's intercessory prayer. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus answered, because it's worth noting. The first thing he did was he established trust. Now, you say, how do you know that? Because it says in verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Now, you got to, again, let's use our sanctified imagination a minute. This guy's blind. He can't see anything. He's totally blind. And a stranger takes you by the hand and starts leading you. Now, if, you're, if I'm him, i got to have a level of trust. Because it says he's leading him out of the town, away from all the people, into an alone place. And I don't know this guy. I don't know him. Come here, George. Stand up here real quick. Now, I want you to act like you can't see. Just <laughs> turn around now. Now, here, this is what he did. He took him, give me your hand, and he just starts leading him out of the town. The guy can't see anything. He doesn't know Jesus. They go a great distance outside the town. Don't you think that with every step, he had to grow in trust? He had to make a decision. Sit down, George. I'm feeling kind of weird. I forgot to spit in your eye. Here. 
<laughs> That'd be drama. But now, if I'm him, I'm making a decision. I got to make a decision I'm trusting him because he hadn't done anything for my vision yet. Now, I want to I uh, propose something to you tonight that that's the way he does you and I. He can't do anything until you first trust him. So he establishes trust before he does anything with you. You got to learn to trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You think this, they, they, he heard his friends pray. They said, heal him. Well, he's not healing my eyes. He's walking me somewhere. What's going on here? I have to make a decision. I don't know why I trust him, but I'm going to trust him. So I'm going to let him lead me, but he's not doing what they prayed yet. What's he doing? Establishing trust. God will not do anything in your life. He, he can't do a whole lot until you will let him take you by the hand and take you some places that maybe you're not used to going. Church. So here's this guy. The psalmist says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. Trust is the beginning of all miracles and all of your walk with God. It's got to start with trust. And so I see Jesus establishing trust. And this man is learning to trust him as they walk. Think about your own life. The Lord first taught you to trust him. And he still has to tell you sometimes, would you just shut up and trust me? And he says that to me. The Lord led him out of the town away from what was familiar He's blind. He's very familiar with certain things, a certain arena of movement. And he's totally left it and gone where he has not known. Now, the next thing, he had to learn to not be offended in Jesus. When he had spit in his eyes. Now, I believe at this point, when the spit hits my eyes and I heard my friend say, Pray, uh, heal his eyes. And he's walked me out of the town and nothing's happened yet. And I'm thinking, well, it's about time to get healed. And all of a sudden spit hits my eyes. I got to make another decision. I got to make the decision that I'm not going to be offended in him. Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret. When you need God to fix you, he will often tell you to do something that offends you. You can think of Naaman the Syrian, covered in leprosy. What does the prophet tell him to do? I want you to go down and wash in the Jordan seven times. And the Bible says he was offended at the request. And he was about to walk away, but his men knew his ego and said, Hey, man, if you go wash seven times in the Jordan, haven't you done something great? Oh, yeah, well, if it's something great, I'll go do it. And he went down. Instead of one of the fancy rivers in the area, he went down to the muddy Jordan. But the request offended him. And he had to say, ultimately, I will not be offended in God. 
and he dipped seven times and came up whole. It's all through the Bible, the principle, uh, the, the, the widow at Zarephath. She's down to one meal, her and her little boy are about to starve. Elijah comes walking up. What does Elijah say? He says, give me your last meal and God will provide for you. How many of you can say, that might have offended me? Doesn't this nut know that I'm down to my last meal? And he wants me to give it to him? See, you, see so often... If we're not careful, the word of the Lord will offend us. And we got to get past this man. I don't know what he did. I'm guessing he did this. But you know what? He had to make a decision. You know what? I learned in that walk to trust him. So this is even stronger but I'm going to trust him still, and I'm not going to be offended. you got to understand that in the first century, spitting in somebody's face was considered a huge dishonor. You think it would get you mad today. Back then, it was a huge sign of disrespect. It's almost like the Lord was saying, can you not be offended in me? It wasn't the spit that healed him. It was the anointing of healing on Jesus that healed him. Are, are y'all following me? Do you see what I'm saying? You can be offended in God. Let me give you some examples. God could tell you that in order to be healed, you need to forgive somebody that deeply hurt you. Remember listening to Corey Ten Boom, whose whole family was wiped out in the Holocaust. And one day, by the providence of God, she ended up in a, I think it was a hospital room, where one of the guards that had killed one of her family members was there. And she confronted him. And the Lord said, you want to be healed of all that happened? Forgive him. You know what that is? Spit in your eye. What do you mean, forgive him? Why don't you kill him right here? Or he could tell you to go and return something you stole with interest attached. I was listening to Jack Hayford the other day. Jack Hayford, boy, integrity head to toe. He said, you know, he says, I was getting ready to pray one day and I was going to go minister. And he said, he said, the Holy Spirit brought to my mind when I was a little boy, I stole a piece of candy out of a store. And I remembered the store. The Holy Spirit said, you want to be anointed this time when you speak? Yeah. He said, you go pay him for that candy with interest. I thought, really? <laughs> and so he figured it up, walked in. Of course, you know, this was years later. Told the guy, I stole from this store. I know you don't know me, but I took a candy bar. Here it is the money for it with interest attached. And he says, something just released from me. That may sound strange to you, but you know, the, the longer you walk with God and the older you get in God, the narrower the road becomes, but the freer the road becomes. And so, so God could do that. Um, he could tell you to go and confess a sin to somebody in order to get your life right with them. Any of these things could be interpreted as spit in your eye. 
Because isn't it interesting that God requires humility at the place where you hurt? Humility is a part of getting healed in the place you hurt. Jesus humbled him, required humility at the very place he hurt. That's powerful. Can you say amen? Or oh me? This blind man had to have said, I receive what he's done. I don't understand it, but I receive it, and I am not going to be offended. Following the spit in his eye, Jesus reached out and touched his eyes. Now, his healing came in stages. And I want you to understand this about the Lord as well. It was incremental. It came in series of agains. Again, again, again. I got to tell you tonight, church, we love miracles, instantaneous miracles. We jump and shout when we get an instantaneous miracle. But most of the time, it's not going to be an instantaneous miracle. Especially when it has to do with your character and something flawed in you. It's going to be in stages. This is a physical picture of a spiritual truth. Uh, it came in a series of agains. I counted four times Jesus touched him, took him by the hand, spit in his eye, touched his eyes, and then touched him a fourth time. Again, 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 again. Some healings come in stages. They take time. It requires patience. You got to go to him again and again and again. The doctrine that tells you if you ask for God or God for something more than once, you don't have faith is a lie and it's bad exegesis of Scripture. Faith says go back again and go back again and go back again and go back again. Sometimes you need a second touch. Sometimes a third touch. Sometimes a fourth touch. Sometimes you're going to experience trees walking. I'm not where I'm going to be, but I'm sure not where I used to be. Trees walking. Amen? I'm still mad sometimes, but I'm not mad all the time. Bless God. Trees walking. Are you there? <clears throat> I don't like church like I want to, but I don't hate it like I used to. Trees walking. <laughs> I finally like my neighbor. I don't love him yet, but at least I like him. Trees walking. You got to go back and back and let him touch you again and again and again and again and again. And, and, and there will be times when you're in the trees walking stage. You're halfway in, you're halfway out. You're halfway around the track. It's in between the promise and the provision. Trees walking. It's the gray area between black and white, out and in, danger and safe, sick and whole. You think you're getting nowhere and then you realize you've gotten somewhere. You're not where you want to be but you're not where you used to be. Grace is starting to change you. Trees walking. And what I love about the story of Jesus here is that Jesus stayed with him. 
When he said, I see men as trees walking, he didn't say, well, you know, your faith is really weak. See you later, man. It's been real. He said, really? Really? I touched you and I prayed for you. I spit in your eyes. I've believed. I've, I've prayed for you. And so all you're seeing is trees walking. Notice our Jesus. He did not say, well, see you down the track, Jack. You should have received it right then. He said, really? Let me touch you again. The moral of the story is this. Don't resent or don't feel badly about the need for a second touch, a third touch, a fourth touch. Jesus may return to the same place, the same hurt, the same weakness, the same affliction, the same marriage, the same pain, again, and then again, and then again. But look around you. You're not where you used to be. You're getting somewhere. Can you say with me the power of again? Let's give the Lord a hand and let's stand up, can we? Thank you, Lord. Oh, Tom has a song. Come on, sing it, Tom. You know, the Lord gives him songs sitting there. And this is Tom Autry, by the way. Some of you might know that name from... Uh, 70s and 80s, he was a real uh, recording artist traveling around all the time. And Disney still is, of course, but I knew him from being a DJ in the late 70s. I used to play his stuff. And so here he is again. <laughs> here he is again. So uh, let's let the Lord speak to us. Uh, uh, if you want to sit down just for a second, let's do it and let the, the Lord speak to us and then we'll pray together. Thank you, Lord.